0: Welcome to Building the Bridge, connecting parents and educators around online learning. I'm your host, Dr. Wendy Oliver, Chief Learning Officer for Edison Learning. Each week, this podcast will present targeted practical strategies for both teachers and parents to ensure we are all on the same page in successfully navigating the digital education world together. Thanks for joining me on this journey. And now, please enjoy today's episode. Last week officially marked one year since the pandemic caused our education systems to modify how we were delivering education to students. In the next weeks and months ahead, we will collectively examine the changes to our education system that have been made out of necessity, as well as how the immediate shift to remote and online learning enabled us to identify the systemic lack of opportunities many students in the United States faced. Specifically, We will evaluate how educators are planning to tackle the learning loss or lack of academic growth in children in our country. There are so many factors related to the term learning loss and it's become a huge buzzword in education. This is likely what guided flexibility in COVID relief funding, I discussed with Dr. Paula Love in a previous episode. Additionally, the impact of the learning loss could be so significant that the Biden administration created a stimulus plan which dedicated nearly $130 billion to learning loss. Many factors have contributed to learning loss over the last year, examples of which include the digital divide, the opportunity gap, social emotional health, and proper training for teachers to implement online and remote learning. Today, I will provide a brief description of each of these contributing factors. While there may definitely be more contributing factors to learning loss, These are the few examples I have chosen to highlight today. Needing to close the digital divide wasn't a new concept when the pandemic hit. However, throughout the pandemic, significant efforts have been made to close in on the digital divide. When I refer to the digital divide, I mean access to electronic devices for online learning and also reliable broadband connectivity. According to a report compiled by the Boston Consulting Group, Common Sense Media and Southern Education Foundation, Their study on the digital divide revealed state and district efforts closed, at least for the short term, an estimated 20 to 40 percent of the national K-12 digital divide for students who lacked adequate high-speed connection and 40 to 60 percent of the digital divide for students who like access to an e-learning device as of December of 2020. Those of you who had Chromebooks on backorder definitely know that that gap was closed a smidge. As a country, we made a huge stride in closing the digital divide in education that wouldn't have happened if we were not in the midst of a pandemic. This leap forward was achieved by making use of limited federal funding from the CARES Act in March of 2020, discounted broadband services from private sector providers, and other resources. While these are staggering numbers and this is a remarkable accomplishment, Still up to 12 million K-12 students remain underconnected as we enter 2021. Additionally, this was only a stopgap measure as the funding will expire in the next one to three years. Then what happens? It takes more than a billion dollars annually to maintain digital access for all students. If remote learning remains in education, and it seems that it is going to, There will be an ongoing battle of narrowing in the digital divide for schools to equitably implement digital education. I am really looking forward to monitoring how this systemic lack of opportunity continues to improve. As an update, since I touched on the opportunity gap previously in episode 11 of the podcast, while the opportunity gap has previously been used interchangeably with the term achievement gap, professionals in education are now moving away from the term achievement gap as it has a negative connotation of placing blame on children that it affects rather than identifying what it actually is. It's unfair to say that students are not quote unquote achieving or performing academically in ways that meet expectations when the reason is due to the lack of opportunity. This is not the students fault and therefore the term opportunity gap is a more accurate depiction of the situation. Based on the data that we have seen during the pandemic, the opportunity gap is a circumstance in which people are born and not a character trait. I recently read an article where a family was spending the day in the parking lot of a fast food restaurant just so the children could have Wi-Fi to do their schoolwork. What an example of grit. Unfortunately, circumstances and whether an individual is born into poverty can determine opportunities in life rather than all people having the chance to achieve to the best of their potential. Contributing factors to the opportunity gap include race, ethnicity, zip code, and socioeconomic status. The pandemic has exacerbated the opportunity gap, and the inequities that exist across our country's school systems are monumental. It will continue to be that way until something is done to balance resources and opportunities for all children. You're listening to Building the Bridge, presented by Edison Learning. Stay tuned for more online learning tips and strategies. It's no secret that the pandemic has taken a toll on our society. The sudden change to remote learning last spring interrupted many aspects of standard routines in the home, school, workplace and community relationships for both children and adults. This type of disruption leads to increased levels of stress, anxiety and trauma. And for students, this translates to learning loss. When I interviewed Dr. Dan Dominick, Executive Director of AASA, the School Superintendents Association, he mentioned that over the last year we've seen a significant increase in suicide rates among our children and also a significant increase in drug use. This ties in with the social emotional well-being of our children and it's something that needs to be monitored constantly. Until the pandemic, student social and emotional health really wasn't a focus. Now, students are struggling mentally with the weight of a global pandemic and the toll that it is taking on all of us, especially students and learning loss. As a result, providing social emotional support to students will be a priority for years to come. Decision makers in education are more keenly aware of the whole student as opposed to simply a student's test scores now. When the pandemic started nearly a year ago, all schools were shut down, and school districts everywhere had to engage in what I call remote 911 learning. Even though teachers were not always provided with the tools they needed or the training they needed to successfully put a remote learning structure into place, many found resources on their own that helped guide them through teaching remotely. Educators have been running a marathon at a sprint pace for a long time, and they must be exhausted. If you listen to episodes 15 and 16 of our podcast, which is a two-part interview with Dr. Paula Love, also known as the Funding Doctor, you know that billions of federal dollars have been earmarked for education since March of 2020 under the CARES Act. Paula and I discussed in a bit of detail the allowances under the CARES Act and deliberated how schools and school districts can use these funds for long-term planning and lasting impacts. I'm very much looking forward to how the landscape of education changes over the next few years as a result of this funding. One thing we've learned through the pandemic is that remote learning will likely be here to stay. And now the funding is in place to provide professional development for teachers and help close the opportunity gap. To the disappointment of children though, school districts are even finding remote learning to be a useful option for snow days in an attempt to prevent additional learning loss. Learning loss and our systemic response to it will continue to be a hot topic. During the upcoming weeks and months, we look forward to further exploring the topic of learning loss, as well as addressing other timely issues related to online learning. If there is a topic that you would like to discuss, please send an email to wendy.oliver at edisonlearning.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Building the Bridge. I hope today's insights and strategies will prove valuable as you support great online learning this week. Be sure to visit EdisonLearning.com for many more resources to support high quality 21st century learning, including a comprehensive suite of more than 150 online courses for grades six through 12 and much, much more. Join me again next week for more tips to connect parents and educators around best practices for online learning.